Hey, 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 and welcome to another Null Pointers with your hosts, Gerald, Stephen, and Mark. In this episode, we'll be talking about mobile security and probably some security in general. In this episode, we'll be talking about security and probably mobile security uh, because we're all mobile developers here mostly. Um, so we'll probably be zooming in on that. Um, we're, I think we're all far from experts, but we get by. We have some experience between the three of us, um, so we can probably make something work. Uh, but first, here is Mark, who is going to embarrass me a little bit by asking me about how my site got hacked. Yeah, time to to repay some bills. I don't know which, but yeah, I I heard Gerald. You've got this site CFP Exchange, and you told me like, uh, yeah, you had to take the site down for a while to do some security maintenance. So what was that all about? Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Uh, so it it wasn't anything serious uh, in hindsight. Luckily, uh, so the, I, for the people who don't know what it's, I, it's not really important to, but CFP exchange is whenever you are a speaker on events, uh, you have this CFP, a call for papers, or it's it's sometimes described differently, but call for papers is is the term to um, that that people generally use. And a CFP is what an event publishes, like, hey, we are holding this event, you can um, submit your sessions to us, and we will choose from those sessions uh, whether we invite you or not to um, do your session on our event. Um, so you have different providers on uh, where you can put your, your sessions. You have Sessionize, which is pro- pretty popular, but you also have PaperCall or other sites even use Google Forms, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, so in an attempt to aggregate all these things, I have created a little solution, which is called CFP Exchange, where people can submit a call for papers that is open right now, um, and speakers can go there and scroll through it and think like, hey, this event is might be something for me, so I'm going to submit a session there. And, you know, as any good side hustle, I just hacked this thing together um, in a few hours and uh, didn't think of it too much. Um, And then one night, some uh, person tweeted at me like, hey, um, I'm trying to go here, but Chrome, Google Chrome, the browser, gives me a big red page uh, with white letters saying this page is unsafe. It will try to steal your uh, private information. I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Um, so that was late at night for me, at least. Um, and I, I didn't really see what was going on. I didn't see that same um, error message when, when I was going there, but I'm using uh, Microsoft Edge, which is based on Chrome, but apparently doesn't pick up on this sort of block list that that Google has put up with with Chrome. Uh, So I decided to just go into my Azure app, um, shut down the site uh, at that point, and uh, figure out later what was going on just so that other people would not uh, be a victim of whatever was going on. Okay, that sounds really scary, Joel. But now don't let us hanging. What was the reason? So the reason was a open redirect. So when I got into the Google um, Webmaster tools or or whatever they call those things, uh, you could see what is supposed to be wrong there. And I had this 
um, thing in place where uh, you could click through to the actual CFP or the website of the event. Um, and before doing that, I would go to my own website um, so I could track um, how often that link was clicked. So what would happen is you would click the link, it would go to an endpoint of mine first, uh, which would do counter plus one, um, and then redirect you to the actual site um, that's externally. Uh, but what some hacker people did, probably it was automated, um, it, it was an open redirect. So it didn't really check if the link that was clicked was associated with that CFP. Um, so you could basically redirect to um, google.com, which is pretty innocent, uh, through through my website. So if you would go to the right URL, it would just redirect you to any page from there, uh, which makes it possible um, that, that I sent you this link, which look trustworthy. Uh, because it's CFP exchange. So I, I know about that. That's the site that I love and I trust. And the website that they were redirecting to looked like a news website. Um, and probably whenever you got in there, they would try to steal your information or, or install some um, horrific other stuff. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, at least that's that happened a couple of times that got me on the blocked list with uh, with Google Chrome. And uh, yeah, that was the cause for a couple of scary uh, uh, messages whenever you attempted to, to go to the site. Uh, but from what I get, it's not, it, it wasn't a really like critical thing that was going on. I don't think anyone uh, really got victimized by, by any of this. Um, so I think we're all good in, in hindsight. It's, it's a minor thing. It was a really dumb mistake, but, uh, you know, I've learned from it. Oh man, that is quite the story. Um, yeah, but I mean, at least it wasn't a SQL injection attack. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, listeners are not aware, there's a, a website out there, it's called OWASP and you can see like the, on that, on that website, you can see the most uh, hacks that happen on websites. And number one, it, these days, is still SQL injection. But nonetheless, um, you fixed it now. So it's, again, back up online, CFP Exchange. And yeah, I, I really like the site. Uh, it brings some convenience uh, into my life. So thank you for doing it. And thank you for making the fix. Uh, and I think it shows security. It can be so easily to do something wrong. And then you got the exploit there. And sometimes the fix is something really small. So in hindsight, uh, everything is super easy. Uh, but yeah, knowing what you have to do and what are some of the caveats, that can be really hard. So if we go over to mobile, I think uh, the first thing that a lot of people try to make secure is the, the transport layer. Like whenever you call the back end, you ensure that it's encrypted. And as far as I know, I think the that's now enforced by Android and iOS. Am I right? I think it is. Um, you can actually, at least I know on iOS, um, you can put in some additional stuff in your info P list, I think it is, um, to actually sort of exclude specific domains from that check. I'm not sure if that's still a thing. Um, I know it was at, at some point. But yeah, that, that is definitely something that they want to discourage as much as possible. Um, and when it, when it comes to that whole transport layer part, um, I think my, my own experience, I, I don't really build a lot of APIs these days. 
Um, but yeah, getting them behind the certificate, HTTPS, that, that is just one basic step you can take in that, obviously. Um, I personally, I, I don't know if you guys have ever used it, but the Azure API management stuff, um, where you basically have or can have as much APIs as you actually want behind one central location where all of this stuff, including security, is is managed. I really find that to be a solution to some of our security problems, at least, um, where multiple backend systems expose APIs, basically. Um, but because of that layer in front of it, everything is managed in a centralized location. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? I mean, so there's a couple of things here. We basically get forced by an Android and an iOS. Um, and also if you're more into like web development, um, which is which is really connected to, to mobile development because of the APIs and stuff. Um, yeah, you want to have... Uh, well, for iOS and Android, you you really have to. Else, the the HTTP call will just fail if you if you don't use secure connections unless you explicitly opt out, um, which is which is not what you want. That's not the proper fix. Um, and for web development, yeah, the Google Chrome thing again. Um, you really want to have that like uh, no warning signs whenever people uh, visit your website. So you want everything to be green there. And, um, that's, that's reason enough to, um, yeah, just get the certificates and, and make everything secure. Right. I mean, the, the end point, the, the goal should be to make everything secure, but yeah, to push people to do that. Uh, the big players in the industry are, are forcing us, uh, are forcing our hand by, by implementing those kind of, um, warning signs to to the regular users to to force our hand to to implement that yeah and i personally think it's uh it's a good thing that some securities enforced up on us uh i remember uh back in the old days when encryption lay when encryption was not enforced for transport um there were some backends that just couldn't bother putting in a certificate because they said, uh, I remember saying like, uh, yeah, well, it uses CPU. And uh, we know these days that the added CPU is so minimal, um, you don't really notice it. And I think it's today really hard to find websites that do not use uh, encryption. Uh, even if you just read a news site or something like that, they usually all use some sort some kind of certificate to encrypt their traffic. And uh, yeah, I think that's um, another thing. Like uh, you, you need a certificate, and usually you have these uh, trusted providers um, that uh, give you a certificate, which uh, then the operating system uh, recognizes as a source of trust. This is how this works, and uh, this is also where it starts to get a bit hairy, I think. Um, but uh, in the past, uh, when you wanted to have a certificate like such, you usually had to take some money into your hands and then purchase one of those. And so you often ended up in the development using self-signed certificates. And I don't know if one of you guys ever had to deal with uh, using self-signed certificates in an app. It can be a bit interesting. I don't really have used them that much, uh, to be honest. I know the certificates... Um, Apple is using their certificates to to sign their applications and that kind of stuff, and that's a real pain in the ass. So you know, if that's uh, a gauge for anything, then um, oh boy, yeah, I can imagine that is a world of per, uh, a world of hurt. 
um so yeah and and like the if you do stuff on azure maybe also on other other clouds i'm, I'm not really sure uh, but if you do things on azure we we already mentioned that um, you mostly get the secure endpoints for free um, i mean you don't get the um, the domain you want probably uh, you can get custom domains of course but then it's up to you to secure them but as long as you stick to the to the endpoints uh, by azure then they will have the certificates in place so that's really cool um but talking about mark talking about these certificates uh, you now also have i mean they were quite expensive uh, and they still are i think for for at least some certificates and i never quite got what the difference is because you have also now Let's Encrypt, uh, which wants to secure the web for free. So they're um, they're giving out certificates for free. Um, and they're, I think they're, um, their goal is to do that in a automated way as much as possible. So you don't ever have to worry about it again. Um, what, why, why should I choose Let's Encrypt? Why should I not choose Let's Encrypt? Do, do you, what of you have any idea about that? Uh, yeah, I, I can I can I can give it a take. Um, so, generally speaking, uh, when you when you talk about certificates or, or like in, in for, for the websites or also for traffic that you have on mobile phones, um, it, it's always it's always this trust bound um, scenario. So, uh, when someone gives a, or provides a certificate or creates one, you it has to be from a source of trust, and those sources they are then. Uh, registered in the operating system and also in the browsers. So you brought up Let's Encrypt, which is a, a free source. There are also many out there that um, offer this service as a as a paid source. And so if you do not use a certificate from one of those public sources, um, the uh, operating system will not know the provider of that certificate and will then mark it as a self-signed and uh, untrusted source. You might have already visited with your browser website like that. So it will be to see, oh, untrusted source. And you can go like into advanced and say, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I want to go into the website. And uh, to uh, circumvent that, you would then have to install the certificate. Many companies do that, many IT uh uh, departments they will pre-install those certificates from the company on your machine so you do never see that warning and the same goes for mobile apps so if you use a self-signed certificate on your server to uh, encrypt all of your traffic um, you then have to do that manually in your app so to speak to say no i i know the certificate i'm trusting it uh, which is a bit of extra work uh, but doable and using uh, let's encrypt uh, they really want to push this encryption even further. So you no longer have to um, do this self-signed certificate stuff and it does not cost you anything. And they force you to renew the certificate every three months. So certificates expire after a certain time. And so what they also want to enforce is that you refresh those certificates on a regular basis and you then use scripts for that. And since Let's Encrypt is a a trusted provider, which is registered in, in the Android operating system and the iOS operating system. As long as your backend is using a certificate from them, you're actually totally fine. You don't have to do any additional work and all your communication will be encrypted, which is a really good thing. Yes, that's a really cool. Let's encrypt. I, I remember a couple of years ago when they were just starting. Um, and yeah, they're, they're now just like the big players. Like, what is it? Is very sign. And that's, that's a, a uh, a name that comes to mind and and um, komodo i think yeah komodo and oh gosh what's the other one um 
that's the name from the Norton antivirus scan, right? They they have something as well. Um, well, I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Uh, so you know they they're like right up there with all the trusted certificates. So whenever you go to a website like like Mark said, you don't get any warnings. Um, it's just a trusted certificate in the in the default stores that come with uh, the most operating systems. So that's really really cool. Um, and you know that that makes it even more secure. It it sounds like a lot of work. You have to refresh them every three months. But I have. Um, yeah, since they started, I, I've been a fan of what they're trying to do, um, and I've followed their development. Um, and I, I run a couple of websites, as you might know. So, uh, also my blog and that kind of stuff, which is still an old self-hosted WordPress instance, um, which also got hacked, which is an interesting story. But well, that's for <laughs> for some other episode. Um, People are never going to trust me after this again. Uh, <laughs> Not to break websites, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, that runs on direct admin. So it, it, it's all PHP based and whatever. And direct admin is, is behind there, which is a management portal for your web hosting space. Um, and they have even like included all these automation things. So it's just one checkbox that says, I want to use Let's Encrypt and they will automatically... Uh, configure all the renewal things every three months and whatever. So yeah, I, I never have to worry about that um, ever again. And coming back to the Azure part, I think whenever you use the hosting there, um, I think you can also now install extensions on um, your web apps and that kind of things that lets you use the Let's Encrypt um, certificates and refresh it automatically and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. I actually didn't know that. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. Um, I think for me, like having your transport layer encrypted is is like a, a minimal thing that you should really always ensure. Um, speaking of that, oftentimes when you write apps, especially in the enterprise, you don't want to have everybody being able to access your data just like that. So you sometimes have to provide some form of authentication and didn't you, Stephen, just write a blog post a few weeks, months ago about this? Um, it may have probably been months, um, but yeah, there's there's obviously standards for that. Um, if you have an organization that runs on Azure uh, or any Microsoft type authentication, um, you can just implement the Microsoft authentication library stuff, um, which is pretty easy to do. It it basically pops up a browser window um, opening up your typical Microsoft login dialog choose your school account or your personal I don't mind um, and and just log in and uh, it, it goes back into the app or it gives an auth token basically um, gives that back to the app and then you can store that as well to get a, a refresh token, which essentially means that the next time around, if that refresh token is still valid, um, you don't need to pop that uh, that dialogue again or push that dialogue again, I should say. Um, meaning that it it's basically a silent login. Um, so the user doesn't really see anything of it which is, is pretty powerful i think it in the end it all runs on oauth um it, it's at least not much different than that um and if you have a provider for your identities that does run on oauth or, or provides oauth endpoints um you can pretty much use that same flow uh to set it up 
And I think in, in Xamarin Essentials, one of the most recent additions was one of those web authenticator type things um, that even takes away most of the boilerplate code that you would write for it. So they're logging in through an external site is actually, well, it, saying it like that makes it a bit strange. Logging in through any external site is obviously not the idea. Um, but if, if you pop up a different browser dialog, uh, do the login there, and then call back into the app, I think that's currently pretty much the de facto pattern for authentication. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I believe it does less something to do with uh, that. It's great from an app design wise, but um, as as you said before, with all the token stuff, uh, you never want to really have the secrets within your app. So you never want to store the username or password uh, anywhere on the device, uh, just in case it gets stolen and stuff like that. So you work with these. Uh, tokens and taking even a step further like if you open up the browser your app will actually never even receive uh, any username or password and since there are some uh, mechanisms behind this uh, website with redirects and stuff like that it's actually so that the uh, caller can not uh, just send username and password and get authenticated you can you can enable those flows on the back end but it's just like a, an added layer of security to do it like that and speaking about, uh, I just remembered, like uh, we've spoken about transport layer security and also authentication, I just said before, uh, never store secrets in your apps. I know uh, Kerry Lotrop, um, a good friend of our show, uh, he actually made a talk, I think it's actually even years, but I mean, time just flies and security, it always stays relevant uh, about a lot of these topics. And you can see, uh, I think it's actually even on Channel 9, uh, a video clip on what you should not do and what you should be a bit aware of in, in these points. Yeah, I saw that session. That was really cool. I, I, I probably think he did it multiple times on, on multiple occasions, but um, he also did it on the um, Xamarin Exam Expert Day um, that I am one of the organizers of. And it was, it was really cool and confronting at the same time. Um, it was fun because what he did uh, the thing you're mentioning, by the way, Channel 9, I think he, he was also in an episode of the Xamarin show with uh, James Montemagno. Uh, but the session that he also did was, um, yeah, it was really cool. He took a local app. I think it was, well, a couple of local apps, actually. Uh, so the Xamarin Expert Day is held in Cologne, Germany. Um, and I think one of the apps that he took was from the um, local uh, football uh, soccer club there. Um, and he, he just takes a couple of local apps and he goes poking around in them, seeing what, uh, what he can do with that. And one of the things that he did was, um, replace the images with, uh, something of his own. So you would just open the app. The app would come from the store. Nothing has changed because, you know, it's a binary file, so you can change nothing about that. Um, you open it up, but because it goes through a proxy, so it connects through a proxy of, um, uh, of Kerry himself, he found some vulnerabilities um, that made him able to uh, show different images than the ones that they actually wanted to show. Um, so in this case, it's just innocent images, but you can imagine that you could also inject other pieces of content in there, which would, again, maybe do some kind of redirect to another website or endpoint or whatever, um, and intercept all kinds of personal details. 
Um, so yeah, that that's a really fun session that that you should definitely watch. We'll see if there's a recording um, after our show and put them in the show notes if if there is. Yeah, we should absolutely do that. And uh, I think it's just general good advice to say never try to attempt to make your own uh, authentication mechanism. Stephen before mentioned OAuth, which is kind of the industry standard. There's also OpenID, uh, which, um, yeah, they a lot of very, very smart people have put a lot of thoughts and work hours into it to make this a secure standard. So why not just use it instead of trying and hoping to roll out your, your own standard, which uh, probably will not be quite as sophisticated because your app is not just based around security, but actually wants to provide some business value. So did, did any of you uh, get any, like, I mean, this is an important part of our work, but uh, I mean, it's it's not really has the focus of, um, I mean, I did get this when I went to school and study for, for all of this stuff. Um, it wasn't really a, a very big subject, like, hey, things have to be secure. Was that different for you did you i mean now when when i'm at microsoft there's even trainings for this kind of stuff which which obviously makes sense um and it they even make the training so that uh once a year they will spin up um one or two solutions uh for the past year it was a a web shop for skateboards and that kind of stuff uh which is filled with um, all kinds of exploits that you can do and each one that you find will give you some points. There's leaderboards and gamification. So, you know, then then you got me. I mean, then I'm hooked. I'm, I'm addicted. Um, so I, I didn't work for a week um, and solve the whole thing. Uh, but that's really cool. That, that really helps you understand how to do things um, and, and how to look for things. And that helps you also understand how you should prevent them and uh, fix that in in your own code when you're you're developing things um, is that things that that you've seen as well did, did you get any training or how does that work for you not necessarily um, like you said uh, at school it's they're trying to cover so many topics that none of them are actually very deep at least not the the security part wasn't covered that much um, and I think most of what came after is pretty much self-taught most of it, which doesn't mean it's good. But yeah, they're, they're, the basics I understand. Um, but also a lot of this security stuff is very, very specific um, knowledge that you, you need to have, which I don't. Um, so I tend to leave that for people more educated on that front. So I know, Stephen, because I was there, uh, that we went to at least one, maybe multiple sessions by um, uh, Troy Hunt, which is uh, a person that is very well known for all his security work and also for the website um, Have I Been Pwned? Um, so yeah, he, he is like really into the security things and he is also the, the go-to guy now, I think, for uh, a lot of hacker people and um, he, 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 what he does with the have I been pwned website is, um, trying to get copies of all the breach websites, 
so whenever a site gets hacked and uh, then the database with all the data that, that hackers would want uh, for connecting with those people and trying to get even more money out of them. Um, he tries to get those databases, um, import all the data um, into his system, but, you know, leaving out all the sensitive stuff, obviously, and basically just having only the um, email address so he can match that up or, or the domains or whatever. Uh, so he can match that up whenever people, um, you can set up a notification, you can go there. Uh, again, link in the show notes. Um, and you can you can set up notifications for either a specific email address or um, um, a certain domain. Um, and whenever a match comes up, um, you will get a notification like, hey, uh, it's too late now, uh, your, your data is out there. But at least you know that your data is out there and you might want to um, update all of your, your passwords. And on top of that, he um, does some very entertaining sessions and also workshops, uh, which also explain like, um, yeah, the things you want to think about and, and how to prevent uh, disasters, basically. Yeah, security can be scary, and I I really enjoy uh, listening to some of uh, Troy Hunt's talks. I think they're always uh, very informative, uh, fun, and really scary. Just to be honest, um, for, for me, uh, educational training. I, I remember uh, back in uni, we I think we uh, had on the mathematical side, we had a look at how RSA and all those things work, uh, which is more super theoretical and not really applied um so i had some training on the job uh for uh, mobile security we once uh, i was once uh, able to go into and visit a course there and i mean that that was super scary i mean you think like uh if i uh put something in the code you know it's it's hidden because it's compiled and then you just uh, get the app package you decompile it and you can just see everything that's in there I mean, you can obfuscate your code, but there are tools that then look like certain patterns, uh, which look like uh, could be a password, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think that the general note is always like, whatever you put in your code, just think it's public knowledge, because uh, even though the apps are only in the app store, there's always ways how people can get it. iOS devices and Android devices can be rooted, and then the user can do anything. So if you've got any secrets in there, how you access your API, you're, you could just literally post them on a website. Um, yeah, the, the hackers will get to it. And uh, so what uh, what we learned there is um, you can make it harder for the um, for the hackers. Uh, there are usually uh, trusted uh, platform modules, uh, encrypted uh, parts of a phone. And um, though uh, there are some cases where you hear that the FBI was able to crack an iPhone and get into there. It's it's really tough to get into there. And so what you do is you just make it really hard for an attacker to get into those different parts. And uh, yeah, there, there are countermeasures that you can do, but it's just like a cat and mouse game. So sometimes as developer, you'll take a few steps and then uh, the hacker will outsmart you again. And yeah, it's a back and forth. What I found really interesting uh, on getting... Back on Euronote, Gerald, is a, a couple of weeks ago, Scott Hanselman uh, made a show with uh, one of the red team from Azure, um, which is, uh, I think, which just shows like how much uh, security has become more and more of a focus and how like uh, big enterprises like uh, Microsoft take this really serious. So the red team is a hacking team, so to speak. So they try to 
uh, get into certain services on Azure. And you also have a blue team. Uh, there are actually many red teams and many blue teams, but yeah, and the blue team is like on the defense and they try to get in. And what I found really interesting was that uh, that person on on the red team, he said, yeah, he could write some code, but um, he was not a developer per se. So uh, it's a different skill set, as uh, Stephen said, if you really want to get into it. Uh, but I think it's important that you know some of the basics as a developer because um, if you write code that's not secure and is exploited um, it's your app that will be then in the headlines if it's a big and important app yeah definitely and um, it's it's what you say right like um, it's you probably want to make it as hard as possible to um penetrate your app in in whatever way um, possible because i don't believe there's something like uh, having your app or or whatever application to be a hundred percent secure right i mean there's always going to if you're working with a bigger team there's always someone um that's that's going to screw up i mean not they're not doing it intentionally let's that let's be clear about that um i mean Look at me. I didn't do it intentionally, but you know, even even I make mistakes, um, <laughs> um, yeah. and it it happens very very easily. So the weakest link in this whole security matter is is people, right? So I don't think you can ever be a hundred percent secure, um, but you just want to make it as hard as possible. Absolutely, and uh, I remember being on projects where we had security audits of the app. So you would hand over the app, the source code, and everything, and they would then uh, give you. Uh, they would analyze it and show what attack attack vectors there are and how severe they are. And another source, if if you're interested or as listener, well, what can I do? What are the vectors on mobile? Uh, I would recommend Googling, or we'll put probably a link in the show notes, uh, OWASP. There's also a site from mobile where you can see uh, what measures you can undertake and how paranoid you actually want to get, how much tinfoil you want to put on your head uh, when doing these security things uh, for mobile. Yeah, and I, I think in the end, it's it's definitely also a... Well, I, I wouldn't say security gets... Um, budget it away quickly but um, when when making estimates and and talking about features security is not necessarily top of mind I guess um, for a lot of people so like the app needs to do this this and that and obviously security is not really a functional requirement in that sense but it, it is one of the most important ones you have um, especially if it's company data that you're handling so it it really pays off to have that always in the back of your mind pretty much in every other thing that you're doing. Yeah, so I think, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, you, you don't really think about that um, immediately whenever you, you make estimates or that kind of things. And, um, you know, also that's something that's always fun discussions with, with clients. Uh, I think we can record a whole show on that if we want to, but, um, yeah, then you, then you get into the discussions like, um, a client saying and thinking like, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you make secure things, right? I mean, that's implicit. You should just write good code and that it's secure. Um, so yeah, you know, they, uh, most of the time assume, uh, that, that, part of the deal uh, or at least they're trying to go into blame you whenever um, things are not right but uh, yeah I mean it's a team effort on on all 
um, all accounts. So, um, but yeah, it's it's just hard to get it right um, because you have to. It's it's a complete field of work on its own. Uh, there's so much stuff that you can mess up because you just aren't aware uh, of it. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a hard topic. Yeah, I think uh, there were some good points there. Um, it, it might not always be on the mind of, of the business because security does not really bring any real business value, one could argue. And uh, I think with recent policies like GDPR and stuff like that, it also gets more into the mind of business people like, hey, if we slack too much on this security thing, we could get into really, really big trouble. And since then, I more often hear the discussion about security, which I think is a good thing because it should definitely not be on the sideline. And uh, if something goes wrong, you're in the headline. And then as you said, Gerald, but oh, didn't you do that automatically? And it's like, no, I mean, security can cost, you know, like encrypting your data at rest and stuff like that. It does not come automatically in some cases or you have to use libraries uh, that you have to pay for, stuff like that. And yeah, it's um, you, you have to know your thing, but you also have to get the time to to do these things right okay so i think that's a whole lot to take in about mobile security things to uh, think about hopefully you've learned something from uh, the experience that we have here uh, i think we've mentioned a whole lot of times that we will put a big number of links in the show notes so you should have uh, enough research to do when you're done listening to us we have been your hosts, Gerald Verslaus, Stephen Davison, and Mark Alleban. Please let us know anything that you want to share about your security experiences uh, on Twitter. You can reach us on nullpointers.io. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And until next week on Nullpointers.